All right, go ahead and take your Bibles and go to the book of 1 Corinthians. I am going to be preaching this morning, kind of, from a book of the Bible, or not a law uh, that does not exist, a lost book of the Bible. What in the world are you talking about? Well, you know, you got these people out there, they talk about these biblically endorsed extra biblical books, all right? And, um, because just because the Bible will mention something like the book of Jasher. And so now somebody comes along with the book of Jasher and, you know, this is all just fact, right? Well, there's a letter that is referred to in the, uh, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And we're going to talk about this letter that Paul references, but, uh, we have not seen, okay? Now, let me just say, I do not think that letter is scripture. <laughs> I don't think it's inspired. But let me, I'll show you what I'm going to do in this. So no, let's go ahead and start reading in 1 Corinthians 7, 1. It says, Now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. So notice Paul said, in concerning the things that you wrote of me. So the Corinthians, they obviously, they wrote a letter to Paul. And so Paul, in this chapter, he is responding to questions that came up in this letter. There's no doubt that's what Paul is doing here because all of a sudden we start seeing him talk about some very specific things and you can tell uh, by what Paul says that he is answering questions. So how many in here have ever seen the game show Jeopardy? Okay. I think everybody's probably seen Jeopardy. How many cried when Alex Trebek died this last year? All right? I didn't cry, but you know what? I was sad. And I'm just going to say it right now. I don't know who's going to take his place, but I promise. What? Okay, now I was going to do this before I even knew it was Lamar Odom that was going to be taking his place. But I fully intended that whoever took his place, I was going to critique them and be negative towards them and watch it only to hate on them. Because, again, you know, I like Alex Trebek. I mean, you, you grow up. Listen to that guy. But on the game show Jeopardy, I mean, how does that work? You don't answer questions. What do they do? They they give you the answer, and then you got to respond with a question, right? So it'd be like, you know, who uh, this man was the first pastor of Liberty Baptist Church, and then that's the answer. And then you got to respond to the question, who is Pastor Tommy McMurtry, right? So that's how that works. So basically, we're going to do the same thing with First Corinthians chapter seven where we're going to look at the answers that Paul has given. And when you look at the answers that Paul gives, I think we can get a pretty good idea of what the questions are. Does that make sense? So that's kind of what we're going to be doing in here. Is The title of this this morning is The Corinthians Letter to Paul. Instead of Paul's letter to the Corinthians, we're going to look at the Corinthians letter to Paul. And based off of Paul's answers, I think we can get a good idea of what the questions are. And when we look at this subject here, because we've been talking about the theme of the family, it, there's no doubt that what Paul is about to deal with here is an extremely important subject that will make or break families. And let me just say, when it comes to the physical relationship between a man and a woman, you do things out of line, you do things against the word of God, you are going to deal with consequences. Even if you did some of these things before you're saved, there's consequences that come, and there's challenges that come in your marriage later on. Now, God can get you through these things. God can still bless you. If you've messed up in some of these areas, God can bless you. But you know what? We need to do everything we can to raise our children to make sure they don't mess up in these areas because they don't need to deal with the baggage 
that comes with messing up when it goes that when it comes to that physical relationship. And so when we look at these uh, you know answers that Paul gives, and we assume the questions that these people probably ask, many of these things are the same questions people are asking today, and that there's even some debate about in a lot of places, even in churches today. And the truth is, there's no debate on these things, and we've got to make sure we teach these things, practice these things, otherwise. You can end a family. Let me tell you, great families have been ended and destroyed because of one time of committing adultery. One time they get out of line on what's taught in this chapter and it just messes everything up. And you, you cannot do that. You never sacrifice your family for a little fling or something like that. It's never, ever worth it. So let's go ahead and start uh, reading through this. So before we get into chapter 7... Uh, just a little context of chapter 7. If we go back to chapter 6 and verse 12, notice what Paul says. He says, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Meats for the belly and bellies for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his own power. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I take that? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined unto an harlot is one body, for two saith he, shall be one flesh, but he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. One thing that you can easily see from the New Testament, you see this in the book of Acts, you see it in Paul's writings, something that was a huge problem when they're going to these Gentile people and getting them saved is they all had a problem with fornication. That was one of the things they had to tell these people. You need to abstain from pollution of idols and from things strangled and from fornication. They were constantly telling them this. You know why? Because in their culture, you know, being that way was very normal. It was very prominent, and that is a very serious sin. And so Paul's telling them, you can't take the members of your body and go join them with a harlot like that. That is not right. That is not what God wants. Your body is the temple of God, and he's trying to get a people who they weren't taught about cleanliness they, you know, in their culture. They weren't taught about being pure and about all these things that we're all used to as Christians, especially if you grew up in a Christian home. They weren't taught these things. And so Paul, he's, he's having to tell him he had to get on to somebody earlier because he had had his father's wife. You can't do that. That's a terrible thing to do. Even amongst Gentiles, even, even lost people look at something like that and say, that's messed up. You, know, you shouldn't do something like that. So this church had a real problem when it came to fornication, when it came to immorality. And so there's no doubt, though, that while they were clearly saved, they had some serious issues when it came to the flesh. And don't make me prove that to you from the book of 1 Corinthians, but it's all over the book of 1 Corinthians when you see the thing Paul's, Paul's dealing with. This was a rough group. They were a saved people, but they were a rough group physically. They had a lot. They, were, they needed a lot of help, and they were from a wicked culture, and I think we see that illustrated from what he's dealing with in the end of chapter 6. But now that we're in chapter 7, Paul, he refers to this letter. He's like, okay, now I'm going to answer the things that you asked me about in that letter. And so let's see if we can get an idea 
of what the questions are to help us understand what Paul's talking about. So he says in verse 1, Now concerning the things thereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. So that's the answer. So what is the question? The answer is, what kind of physical contact is appropriate between men and women? I think that's probably what they asked. Because they obviously knew, you know, they've been hearing this is a problem, you know, fornicating and all that kind of stuff. So what kind of physical contact is appropriate between a man and a woman? And you know what? I think that is a good question. I think that's a legitimate question. And I think it's definitely one, too, that you ought to talk. Because it's like even in our culture, though, we know that once you're married, keep your hands off other women, right? We all know that, okay? And even things that aren't fornication, okay? Everybody would be weirded out if a married man is holding hands with another married woman, you know, and or just putting their arm around them and just overly touchy. But, you know, boyfriend and girlfriends, right, you know, they're, they're free to do all that, right? Well, you know, I don't think so. Okay? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't believe that. And so they're wondering, though, well, you know, so we're not supposed to, for, you know, what can we do? And isn't that how people are a lot of times when they first get saved and it's like, man, we can't do anything, right? So they're like, you know, what can we do? All right, we're not allowed to fornicate, so what am I allowed to do, you know, when it comes to other women? And Paul said, you know what, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. That's what he said, and I believe, uh, I believe that's right. This was a very clear answer. None. Now, I do believe that when Paul said this here, because if we wanted to, if we wanted to be proof texters, and if we just wanted to be hardcore, you know, we could just go and say, you know what, no shaking hands between men and women. You know, no, we could just make all kinds of rules like that, and, you know, we've got to have, like, you know, separate aisles that the women walk so we don't have anybody actually bump, because you, like, bump into a woman. The Bible says it's good for a man not to touch a woman, you just violate it. You know, we can go crazy with that stuff, right? And do we think that's what Paul meant when he said that? I don't believe that's the case, okay? But I believe what he's talking about is he's referring to any type of touching that satisfies someone's physical needs or emotional needs. Because let's just all admit it, you know, and, and not just when it comes to sensual stuff, but, you know, when it comes to just the hugging, putting your arm around somebody, things like that, you know, there is an uh, emotional need that people have, and I think especially women uh, that have. Well, the thing is, you know, that's what your husband's for, okay? That's what your wife's for. You know, we don't, I, I don't believe we as men in the church need to go around, you know, hug, hugging other young ladies and things, okay? Now, again, you know, I think you can draw a line somewhere because there's an appropriate time to do it. I mean, sometimes people are hurting and sad or it's at a funeral. Uh, you know, you're saying goodbye. I, I think we all know when it's appropriate, when it isn't. You know, don't make me make rules. You know, my dad used to say that, you know, my mom's rule for him was I had to be like old enough to be her mother or something like that. You know, <laughs> and it's like, you know, and they, like, I mean, obviously nobody's going to think anything bad. You know, if you are, if, if there's just an, you know, an elderly person, I don't think it's wrong to do that. There's not, there's nothing, there's nothing sensual. Y'all know, you know, don't make me get too specific on stuff here today. I, I don't want to do that. But we all just kind of instinctively know, don't we? Okay? 
And because there is there's a time and a place for it. Okay? If if we're at a funeral and we're all passing by the casket of somebody, and you know, and there's a lady up here and we're we're giving her a hug and in a situation like that, nobody's gonna think anything, all right? That's not that weird. Okay. And you know, but at the same time too, you gotta know that person well enough to know that I'm allowed to do this with this person too. Because if you ever been to that event too and that person came and hugged you and you're like, Who are you? You know, then you get creeped out, right? I, and so there, there needs to be a social awareness, but at the, at the end of the day, all of us do have a need for that physical companionship. And you know what? That is meant to be satisfied by your spouse. Okay? And, uh, you know, don't make me get specific. Don't make me tell you which things and all that kind of stuff. I think we all kind of know. And so, you know, this doesn't mean a handshake or a hug. It's never appropriate because sometimes a situation may call for it, you know, and, the how, when, and where's, that's going to vary from culture to culture, too. There are some cultures that are a lot more touchy than our culture is. And, it, and it's not weird over there. In some cultures, they go and guys kiss each other in the cheeks. Okay? We don't do that here. But you know what? I challenge you go to a Muslim country and call them a homo when they do that and see if you walk away. Okay? So, now, so you know, I, I don't think they're wrong for doing that. The Bible does say greet the brethren with a holy kiss. Right? Does that mean we start kissing each other? No, I think we're I think we're obeying that scripture when we shake hands. You know that that's how we do it in this culture. And so the thing is, too, even amongst male and female, there might be things that are considered appropriate that you know vary somewhat. But at the same time, when you're getting some kind of emotional or physical fulfillment from somebody that's not your wife, you know what? You're out of line. Don't do that. You don't need to have that kind of relationship with somebody. There is. There's an appropriate way to do it. You know, you've got the regular handshake. You've got the creepy handshake. Okay, What's a creepy handshake? We all know it when we feel it. They just hold on a little too long. Okay? And, you know, and ladies, too, you know, don't, don't ever let men violate you in some way. Don't ever let the Joe Bidens, you know, grope you and put their hands on you and make you feel uncomfortable. Don't, don't let men do that. Hey, if they do that, you know what? You go tell your husband about it. And if you don't have a husband, tell me about it. I'll go talk to that guy and say, hey, creep. You're too touchy with these people. You know, you got, you, we have to watch out for these things today. Little kids, don't ever let another adult in the church make you feel uncomfortable by how they touch you. If somebody ever touches you in some way and it makes you feel weird and uncomfortable, you know what? You go tell your mom and dad. You go tell them. You won't, you won't get in any kind of trouble. There's weirdos out there. They want to see how far they can get with you. And so understand, when it comes to physical contact, we keep these things to a minimum. You keep it appropriate because, uh, you know, that, that physical touch, it is, it's, it's a serious thing. And it's something we ought to take serious. And things do. Things can be different from place to place, culture to culture. Uh, depending on the relationship, ages, there's a lot of things you got to factor in. But most people... Just, you know, instinctively know how to be appropriate. And if somebody, and if somebody gets out of line, you know, don't be afraid to say something about it. You know, be nice, you know, be nice about it. Some people just are clueless too. You know, you might have somebody that's not 100% there that might overdo it. I remember there was a guy he had, I don't, I don't remember what he had, but he had some kind of mental problem. He used to come to my dad's church and he would always hug everybody. And, you know, and he was, he was pretty old. He was real tall. But, you know, it was, it was real innocent with this guy. 
But at the same time, too, it just kind of creeped people out. And if you ever made him happy, he would just hug you. He couldn't help it. And I remember one time we had a guy that was visiting the church. He'd never been there before. didn't know who this guy was. And he walked into the bathroom, and this guy was, like, hugging one of the teenage boys. <laughs> and he, like, got really creeped out by it and went and told my – he told my dad about it. And, my, and, you know, my dad explained. And then, you know, after he was there, you know, he realized, you know, because – Again, he had, he had a mental problem, but if it had been a normal person doing that, you know, we'd probably been a little more concerned. You know, so, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of things there, but just always be careful. Don't get in people's personal space. You know, be respectful and watch out for that. And don't, and if you do, if I, I just, I need to hug somebody. I need to touch somebody. Well, you need to find a wife, all right? That's what they're there for, okay? And don't go, don't go paying a harlot. He talked about that in chapter 6. Okay, that's not that's not right. You're sinning against your own body. Okay, you're sinning against God. You're violating the temple of God when you do that in that way. And so what you got to do to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife. That's the way that's the way that works. And I'm sorry, there's just there's no exceptions on that. You don't get to have a physical relationship with somebody without majorly sinning against God unless you're married to him. And you don't want to go down that road. It will it will hurt you. And so, again, too, just kind of showing things are culturally, too. Like, I don't believe Jacob sinned here in uh, uh, Genesis 29. It says, And it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth, watered the flock, and Laban, his mother's brother. And Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. When he saw Rachel, first thing he does is he kisses her. And now, I don't think that means he just walked up to her and did, uh, you know, John Wayne to Maureen O'Hara from The Quiet Man, you know, when they first saw each other in the house. Anybody remember that? And then he just went and laid one on her, and then she slaps him, you know. I, I don't think it was a situation like that. I think it was just more of a cultural thing. And I just, I'm not a woman, but it couldn't have been, it, I, I don't think most of them would be impressed if when you see, they first see a guy, he walks up to her, kisses her, and then starts crying. Okay. I just, I don't, I don't think, you know, I don't think that would be that impressive, but it worked in this situation, I guess, you know, but a different time, different culture. But anyway, I, I don't recommend this move in modern America. Okay, guys looking for a wife. I, I saw Jacob do it in the Bible and it worked for him. I don't recommend this move, all right? And so uh, d- don't do that. But Bible says in verse 3, so let's kind of go on to the next question. It says, let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise, also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. So I think the next question they ask is, all right, so how am I supposed to get my physical needs met? And he's just specifying with your spouse. You get a spouse and you take care of each other. You give sp- you get a spouse and you love each other. You be concerned about what the other one needs and you, ha- you ought to have a desire to please the other one. Let me tell you something. I'm sick of this attitude with a lot of men today because they're the head of the home that it's all about them, okay? Listen, read the whole Bible. You are the leader. You are the head. You are the responsible one. And so let me tell you, you need to take your responsibility more serious than you do her responsibility. And they're always about just making the wife do whatever she's supposed to do. Well, how about giving honor unto her as under the weaker vessel? How about you take into consideration how she feels about something? Especially when it comes to having kids, why don't you take into consideration she's the one that's got to carry the thing for nine months and then push it out. I mean, good night, you know. I couldn't do that. I'm the man. Well, 
She's a woman, and she's the weaker vessel, and she's got the harder stuff she's got to deal with physically. And I'm telling you, you need to you need to be concerned about her health. You know, sometimes women die in childbirth. You know, it's a very difficult and painful thing, and you better take those things into consideration, and you better try to please her too. You ought to try to make her happy too. It's not just all about the guy. But we've got that mentality today. We've got the feminists teaching their wickedness and then we've got people too that want to swing the pendulum the other way and then they just want to be abusive to their wives and just not take care of them not meet their needs not make them happy and expect them to be miserable don't do that okay that is that is a terrible attitude you're supposed to cherish your wife okay when you cherish something you promised you know she she promised to obey in the in the vows you promised to love honor and cherish Hey, you know what you do? When you cherish something, you take care of it. You protect it. You try to keep, you try to keep it preserved because you understand that it has value and you want it to, you, you want to keep it good and happy and you want to take care of her as much as possible. You can't forget that, folks. You got to have both. You got to have both. This goes both ways. We got too many one-way relationships going on and uh, that doesn't make for a happy marriage. And you know what? It doesn't make for happy guys either. Guys that are like that with their wives are never happy. They really aren't. And uh, what they're doing does not work. And so I believe what these people were asking Paul is, you know, hey, we got these needs. How are they supposed to be met? And he tells them, get a spouse, take care of each other. And I don't believe that comes to just the physical, but even the emotional things. You know, said, my wife needs comforting. I'm the one that needs to give her the hug. Okay, not someone, not another man in the church. You know, if there's a woman that's struggling emotionally or whatever, you know, we see a lady crying around. You know, some of you ladies, you go give her a hug. All right, but you know what? Other men, listen. If I see another woman having trouble emotionally and stuff, I go hide. All right, because you, know, you know, we all know it's tough enough. You know, dealing with our wives and you know when they're having a tough time. Man, not my job, not my problem. And you better believe, uh, I'm not even going to think about hugging in that situation. You know. That's ladies, you you all take care of each other there, and then your husband. Do it. Other guys, don't go give her a hug. Uh, come hide with me. All right? You don't want to get in the middle of that. Trust me. All right? It's it's, it's not going to be worth it. And so, you know, certain types of touching, too, it shows a certain closeness with an individual, you know, and there is no reason for us to just be that close to a member of the opposite sex, especially when you're married. Remember when Judas, he betrayed Jesus? We just saw us on Wednesday. Judas betrayed us on me with a kiss. To be able to get up close and personal like that to somebody, that has to be a friend. That has to be somebody that's close to them. And Jesus allowed Judas to be close to him, and it was. It was a major violation when he betrayed him like that. And you just don't need that. You don't need that with another woman that is not your place. So verse 4 says, The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Okay, A lot of guys got that first part of the verse down, but they don't have the second part of the verse down. But we need to follow all of the Bible, not just the parts we like. So it says, Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time, that ye may, be give, that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again, that Satan tempt you not, for your incontinency. And so I think the question that they probably asked here is, are spouses obligated 
to take care of each other's physical needs and wants. Because it's like, all right, well, I can only have my spouse, but, you know, what if they don't want to? You know, can I go to somebody else? And truth is, no, you can't. But you know what? It is. It's the responsibility of both. You all have power over each other. You know, people, you got all these clowns today that are teaching feminism, you know, even amongst Christians, and teach, you know, your wife is not your property. Oh, really? Well, I'm her property, you know, and she's my property too. We belong to each other. We're one flesh. My body, my choice, right? Well, the Bible says we're one flesh. And, you know, you got to learn how to work together when it comes to these things. You know, you got to learn how to be sensitive to what the other one's dealing with because you two are one flesh and yes, you do belong to each other. And what she does affects you and what you do affects her. And so when, you know, when it comes to certain needs or whatever, you know, sometimes you, you just don't always get what you want. But that, but you just got to understand whatever it is you need, whatever it is you want, there's only one place where you go to get it. And that is your spouse. And so you know what you know what that forces us to do when we realize that? It forces us to take care of that one. Well, man, you know, if that's the only place, then I better take care of them. I better love them. I better figure out how to make them happy, figure out how to please them. That's what actually makes for a better relationship across the board. And both sides need to understand that. Both sides need to realize that this is what God designed. This is what God intended. Now, our physical carnal flesh, our depraved flesh... It's not okay with that, but you know what? You got to get victory over that, and you got to do what God said to do. And you, unfortunately, we do have a fallen nature, and it doesn't always want to stay in its place. But folks, you have to keep it there. If you don't, you will ruin your life. You know, I mean, most marriages today are—I don't know what the percentage is—but large percentages of marriage that end, it's because of either either um, you know infidelity cheating on the other one, or maybe they didn't even cheat, but the, their relationship was just so bad physically that they decided, you know what, we're just going to divorce and we're going to try it with somebody else. That's not the solution. That is not the solution. That is never the solution. You will never be better off. You need to figure out how to fix the relationship you have with the one that you're married to. That's what you have to do. And uh, you know, we could preach a series of messages on that, but, you know, that's the kind of thing you might need to get some counsel on. But you just got to understand, I am one flesh with this one person, and whatever is not working right now, we have to figure out how to get it fixed. There, and that has got to be a must. And so uh, both sides should seek to please the other. Both side, both should be considerate of the other. It says in First Peter 3, 5, For after this manner in old time, holy women also who trusted in God, adorned themselves, being in submission unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Now, the punks, they love that verse. They love, And that's a great passage. But you know what? That passage isn't going to work if you don't do your part. In verse 7, where it says, Likewise, ye husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as under the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. And we got a lot of people that are trying to make First Peter 3, 5, and 6 work in their marriage without verse 7. You have to have verse 7 too. It's two or one flesh. Both sides have to be doing their part. And let me tell you something. When it's not working in a marriage, 
I put the blame. I like to blame the women too. All right. I blame. And whenever we hear about stuff and I'm not behind the pulpit, I always blame the women just to make my wife mad. All right. But in reality, everything rises and falls on leadership. And if it's not working, it's because of you men. Hey, you need to figure out how to get things working in your family. You're the head of the home. You're the leader. You're the one that the responsibility is on. You're the one that's supposed to lead your wife and while giving honor as under the weaker vessel. And if you're not getting it done, it's because you stink. Okay? It's because you're messing up. And I think if more men would actually take responsibility and actually lead, I think we'd actually see some happy marriages. I think things would be okay. We can try blaming the feminist all we want. And you can go be a MGTOW and be a loser permanently for the rest of your life just because you, you just decided women are all no good. No, we've got weak men today who don't know how to lead women. And their goal is to go find some beautiful woman out there with no will of their own. You know, and, and I'm sorry. If she's a beautiful woman, I, you know, if she's taking care of herself, it's probably because she's actually got a will. And she's got some discipline and responsibility. And it probably means she could put you in your place if she needed to. And you know what? Some of us, you know, we've married women that have some personalities and things. But you know what? Some, you, know, you got to lead. You got to be able to handle that. Okay? And I'll be the first one to admit, my wife's a spitfire, all right? I'll be the first one to admit that, you know, I can handle it. You know why? Because I'm a man. <laughs> and I don't need to go find this beautiful zombie woman out there who looks great but has absolutely no will of her own. I don't, I don't need that. And that, that's what everybody's looking for. But folks, we live in America. That's not what our culture's putting out. It, most of them are spitfires, all right? And we just got to learn how to handle it. And sometimes it's challenging, but, uh, but that's, that's the point of leading. That's the point of leading. And so the responsibility is on you. Ephesians 5.28 says, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. So get Jesus Christ, he's the one that initiated everything. He's the one that initiated the love. He's the one that did all these things. He's the one that has taken care of us. And we need to be the same way with our, with our wives. We need to love them like Christ loved the church. And so verse 6, 1 Corinthians 7. I need to go quickly. I'm running out of time here. It says, But I speak this by permission, not of commandment, for I would that all men were even as myself, but every man hath this proper gift of God, one after this manner, none after that. I say, therefore, to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them to abide even as I. Uh, but if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. So what I believe that he's saying right here is he is saying, I believe the question that they asked is, is it okay for those whose spouses have died to be remarried? I think that's the question because he's been, you know, tell, you know they've been hearing how you're one flesh, you're supposed to stay married. And so what I believe the question the Corinthians were asking Paul here is, so what if a spouse dies? Okay. And Paul, he gave his opinion and he said, well, I think they're better off if they stay like I am and remain unmarried. But then he's, but then he, he said though, but if they cannot contain, not everybody can receive that. Let them marry for it is better to marry than to burn. So basically Paul's answer is, yes, it's okay. If the spouse died, then you know what? They can remarry. You can do that. That's okay. 
Paul did not recommend it, but I want to show you this too, because a lot of people miss this out too, especially people who are teaching that Paul taught you're better off to just not get married at all. And, and they like to forget about this one little verse right here because I'm sorry, marriage is a good thing. Okay. Marriage is a good thing. It's still making people happy today. You know, I still believe whoso findeth the wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. I believe that's what God instituted in the Garden of Eden. I believe that's some, I believe we should be getting, you know, and when Jesus Christ comes back, they're going to be marrying and giving in marriage. Okay. This marriage thing's not going away. Okay. But you've got people out there, they'll take the Apostle Paul where he's saying it's good not to marry and then they're just isolating that and being like, that's it, you know, people shouldn't get married. Well, uh, not necessarily because notice uh, what he said in verse uh, 26. Uh, look what he said in verse 26. I think this is an important thing we need to note. Um, lost my spot. It says, I suppose, therefore, that this is good for this for the present distress, I say that it is good for a man so to be. Art thou bound to a wife? Seek not to be loose. Art thou loose from a wife? Seek not a wife. So basically what he's saying here, if you are married, you need to stay married. But if you're not married, he said you should stay that way too. But notice how he said, for this present distress. Okay? Whatever the situation was that they were going through then during that time, he was saying, you're better off right now being unmarried because they were under a lot of persecution. A lot of bad stuff was going on. But, I mean, folks, are we getting shot out there today when we leave our houses? Are we in a war zone here in America right now? I mean, I, I get it. You know, The country's going pretty crazy right now, but it's still pretty good having a wife and kids and things right now. We're not fearing for our lives. We're not starving to death. So Paul, when he was saying this, too, he was referring to a specific group during a specific time in a specific situation. So make sure you understand that uh, and you, you take that in consideration when you're looking at this passage. So uh, Paul is basically, um, you know, he's was given a his own personal judgment for a specific situation, but then he goes on to say, but you know what? If you get married, you haven't sinned. It's okay for you to do that. So real quickly... Uh, I'll finish this up, verse 10. And unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. So basically, I think the question they asked is, is it okay to get divorced? And isn't that a question that the Pharisees would ask Jesus too? Is it okay for a man to put away his wife for any cause? And you know what Jesus basically said in so many words? No. That was just real simple. So he's basically just answering their question there that No. Don't do it. Stay together. Stay married. You'll be better off. Yes, because we have, you know, the hardness of your heart. Moses offered a bill of divorcement, but from the beginning it was not so. This is not what God wants. This is not good. This is not going to make you happier. Yes, legally, you are allowed to do that, and you can, you can do that, but it's not what God wants for you. Okay? Keep the family together. Keep the marriage together. Work out the differences. And said, unless you marry that zombie woman with no will of her own, there's going to be differences. Okay? There's going to be a clash every now and then. They're, you know, they're going to have fights. We had our first fight on honeymoon, and it was, it was over traffic. My wife didn't She was backseat driving. My wife's still a backseat driver. And we were in New York in heavy traffic, and I did. I, and I was stressed out big time. And then you know, I had her telling me how to drive. Oh, man, it, it was frustrating. 
I was like, you need to just lay down so you can't see what's going on and leave me alone because it, it was it was bad. And that was before GPS, too. And then when GPS comes out and you had another woman telling you how to drive, it, it didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't good. I ended up, I ended up changing it to the man voice after I got it because I was like, I can't have two women telling me how to drive everywhere. But anyway, <laughs> my wife doesn't like when I bring that up. But uh, verses, uh, lost my spot. So verse eleven. So then he says, but it, but and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband. Put away his wife. So I think the question here is, so what if my wife leaves me? You know, what am I supposed, what am I supposed to do? And basically what Paul tells him here is remain unmarried and hope for reconciliation. That's what he told him to do here. Remain unmarried and hope for reconciliation. Now something that Paul did not address in this chapter that I think is a legitimate question and something they didn't ask is though, what do you do if your wife leaves you and then she marries somebody else? Right? And we see in Jeremiah 3, 1, says, They say, if a man put away his wife, and she go from him and become another man's, shall he return unto her again? Shall not the land be greatly polluted? But thou hast played the harlot with many lovers, yet return thou again unto me, saith Lord. So he's saying, you go and you do something like that, you're greatly polluting the land. That, that's a bad sin, too. And so, you know, the question is, well, then, you know, does, so does the guy have to be a eunuch now? And then that's where we go to Matthew chapter 19. And where Jesus said, you know, not everyone is able to receive this. But just one thing we've always got to understand, God wants those who get married to stay married. That is always God's will. Don't go asking God and say, Lord, can I get permission to divorce my wife? God's not going to, tell, God's not going to put his blessing on that. God's not going to say, it's okay. Now, said, if something like that happens, if your wife leaves you and she marries somebody else, and then later you get remarried, does God ever forgive people of that and still bless people? Of course, you know, God does. God does forgive people. God blesses. But just don't ask for permission, blessing. You know, we have, we do have people in the church that have been married and remarried. And, you know, we don't beat, we're not beating these people up for it. Okay? I believe God, can, you know, God forgives them. But let's not act like it's a good thing and that it's God's will, you know, and, and start saying things that just aren't in the Bible. And so the last thing here um, says, uh, but to the rest speak I, not the Lord. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the woman which hath a husband that believeth not, if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. So I believe what they're asking here is, what if my spouse isn't saved? And if you're married to somebody that's not saved, that's going to be a challenge, isn't it? But you know what I think Paul's saying here is, you know what? Remain married to them, and maybe you'll get them saved. You know, and even if you don't get them saved, maybe you can get the children saved. And so, you know, still he's saying, even if they're lost, stay with them. You know, and, and it can be tough. It can be challenging when it comes to, uh, you know, when you have a home where one's saved and one isn't saved. It is, it is a real challenge, and that's why, you know, best case scenario is both of you be saved before you get married. You know, that's best case scenario, but some people didn't know any better, you know, and uh, either way, you're better off, you know, saved even if your wife's lost or whatever, but still, stay with them, love them, and, and it, it can, it can be very difficult, but uh, 
He goes on in verse 15 and says, But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us unto peace. So, you know, guys, don't go locking your wife in the basement if uh, she tries to leave you or something. You know, know, unfortunately, we can't stop. We can't make people do the right thing. You know, sometimes you have to let them, and that's that's tough. That's hard. You know, when they do that to you, that's a sin against you in that situation. But he said, For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband, or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? You should hope for that. And I do. I believe that if we, if you're, if you're saved and your spouse is lost and you are as noble and holy and righteous as you act like you are, I think if you keep living that way, I think God just might save them. I think he might get a hold of them and save them and restore things. And these things are, they are so important to understand because fornication, you know, adultery, these are probably one of the most powerful temptations and one of the most destructive sins that are out there. Just that, that one act. And many great men, many great families have fallen apart because of that one sin. And it is so important that we keep ourselves pure and not add any temptation to ourselves. And so you do, you need to have some rules for yourself and you need to have some boundaries. And say, so, you know, I'm, I'm not doing this with members of the opposite sex. I'm, I'm keeping my hands myself. You know, you, you need to have some rules there because you mess up in these areas. It, it's going to have devastating consequences. You got people today, they're going and they're sleeping around with women that they would never marry. But then they get them pregnant. You know what? Now that woman's a part of your life forever because she has your kid. You don't want to deal with that. You know, that that and this is such a destructive thing. And I think if we could get control of ourselves, you know, I think that's one of the reasons, too. It's good for engaged couples to continue to remain pure until marriage. If you can have that relationship and re- while you love each other, intending to get married and remain pure, you know what that tells both of you? That, hey, we can control ourselves. And if we're ever tempted after we're married to somebody else, we can control ourselves then too. But if you can't control yourself now, what makes you think you'll be able to control yourself then? And so when you do, when you make to that marriage altar pure, you can both go there knowing, I can trust this other one. And I think that will help out in your marriage. So I hope that that was a help and a blessing. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word. I pray that this was a help and encouragement to everybody. I pray we'll all take these things to heart and just keep ourselves pure in these areas. Lord, so many people have fallen and help us to realize how destructive of a sin this is and keep it out of our lives. In your name we pray. Amen.